0: If you're newer visiting, I want to say welcome and thank you for joining us. We are, we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, so if you're newer visiting or if you haven't been here for a little while, I would encourage you to go through and please, uh, I, I mean, you don't have to, but it's going to bless you, I, I, I believe, for you to read through Nehemiah before where we're at, um, so you kind of have the, the full picture. And then I would also encourage you, even if you've been coming every single week, hopefully, Uh, this coming couple weeks or this coming week or so you will read 11 12 and 13 as we finish up the book of Nehemiah so you kind of have some some of a road map of where we're going to go before you before you come so that's my recommendation to you Uh, as we've been going through this of course the title of the series is this idea of restoration uh, God bringing his people back to their land rebuilding them repurposing them Uh, and as we've seen in Nehemiah we've seen the first half was a dealing with the physical wall of Jerusalem in that area. Now the second half is dealing with the, the hearts of the people. And so that's where we're at this morning. And the statement that I want to make to you for today's message is we need a healthy concept and practice of church membership just as much today as ever before. That's the main point, and that's what I'm going to argue for this morning out of Nehemiah 10. So there's some dates that are probably in most of your uh, data banks, and one of which is July 4th, right? We we shoot fireworks off, and the reason we have that date, July 4th, is because of July 4th, 1776. Everybody probably knows that date, right? I'm sure you know that. There's others that you should also know that I want to share with you real quickly. Um, We know that because that's when they declared independence, right? Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, Uh, I did not, and so no judgment from me. August 2nd is when the Declaration of Independence was actually signed. Did you know that? And then September 17th is another important date. No, not because it's my birthday. And by the way, fun fact, Pastor Drew's birthday too. So you can kill two birds with one stone and just say happy birthday to us both on one day, and, and that's good. So please tell him happy birthday on September 17th. Uh, But September 17th, 1787 is when the Constitution was officially signed into adoption. That's when the U.S. government was officially going to begin on March 4th, 1789. And on May 29th, 1790, Rhode Island, they tarried for whatever reason, Rhode Island was the 13th colony out of the original 13th to finally come in and be part of the United States. Now, As I tell you all this, I switched the slides. Hopefully you were looking at that. Uh, So what I want you to see before you is a a screenshot or a photocopy or whatever it is of the Declaration of Independence. And you see on this Declaration of Independence, you see some signatures, right? And of course, this is where the terminology, kids, if you didn't know this, or maybe you haven't heard this, put your John Hancock on it, right? Uh, This is where this comes from. Look at the flamboyancy of this man. But I want to argue to you that I think there's actually great courage and not just uh, narcissism in that signature. I think there's actually great courage in all of these signatures because if you think about it, this could have rent really badly. If you think of anything that could be held against you in a court of law, it would be something like this. You see, they penned this document. That's why they declared it J- July 4th, August 2nd, the, it was... The, it wasn't like Michael Scott with bankruptcy, right? You can't just declare something. You have to have actual evidence for that. And so, so they wrote up this document. They signed this document. And, and my argument to you this morning is the reason that this document is so important, not only for us as, as, as a country, for us as a people, was really because of what these men are standing for. Do you understand that if this would have went differently, this wouldn't have just been a, a declaration of independence. What this would have been is a death warrant. Do you, do you, do you understand that? Because if if the English would have won, they would have, believe me, they would have got a hold of this document. They probably had somebody who gave them a copy of it anyway, and they would have known, these are the men of which we are going to seek to defeat, right? But these men, they wanted to be part of something bigger. Bigger than themselves, at least. They wanted to be part of something that they believed in. This document and the Constitution are documents that they signed because they wanted to have standards and accountability for what it meant to be a united people, a United States. They signed this document knowing that it would cost them maybe money, maybe position, maybe even life, and yet their signatures reside. And so, as I told you, I think we need a healthy concept and practice of church membership just as much today as ever before. And I believe that as we go through Nehemiah 10, uh, we're going to see that proved out. So before we jump into the actual text, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, your name is holy. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And as we have read in Nehemiah last week, the people of Israel have recognized their sin and sought to repent from it. They have appealed to your grace and your mercy for forgiveness and are seeking to live in right relationship with you. Father, we appeal to you on the same grounds today. We openly recognize our sin before you and we appeal to the grace and mercy offered to us through your son Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins We desire to be at peace with you, obedient to you, and fruitful for you. So bless us, Lord, we pray, as we hear your word preached this morning. Be with the heart of the hearers and the mouth of the preacher, we ask. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, the first thing I want to show you that I saw in this is that we need to know who's in and who's out. Um, and this is a very controversial statement maybe today where everybody gets a participation trophy. And uh, if, you're, if you're not in, then it's a sin kind of thing. But we need to know who's in and who's out. And as you see in Nehemiah 10, uh, 1 through 27, you're going to have to look in your copy of God's Word. I'm not going to put it on the screen for you. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because there's so many names. It just lists uh, all these names. I'm, I'm going to stumble and fumble over them. And so instead of that, well, I just want to talk about them. And, and give you the weight of why they're there in my understanding. In that list, from chapter 10, verses 1 through 27, we've got a list of men who signed this document. Remember, last week we talked about all these things that I just said. They're confessing their sin, they're looking at the history, they're saying we want to sign a new covenant to remain in the covenant of what God has done. And in that, we see the first signatory, if you look at your copy, is the governor, Nehemiah himself. Of course, he's leading the pack in essence, he is putting his John Hancock on there. Do you understand the size of his name on this document that they're writing? And it's going to be sealed and it's going to, it's going to be held in the library of Israel, right? So the first, we have one governor. Next, we have uh, 22 priests and then 17 Levites and then 44 of the other chiefs and leaders of the people. And what this list does and what the, Declaration of Independence has done with that and names on there and just the declaration itself is that it gives clarity, doesn't it? It gives a very transparent, very open, very historical record for Israel of who is in and who is out. And these men are signing this document because they want to be in the covenant. I want you to see in... uh, in Nehemiah 9.2, so if you bounce your eyes back, if you look up a little, a little ways, 9.2 says, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And so they are seeking to separate themselves from all the rest who don't want to be in. And then, as we look at verse 28, which I put on the screen for you, it says the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands of, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding. You see, we live in a society today where we would say, hey, you want to know who's in and who's out? That seems exclusive. We don't want to be exclusive. We want to be inclusive. And I would say, yes, but... But the fact of the matter is there are some things that have to be exclusive. They just are. And we would never think of it as any kind of wrong way. In fact, I'm, I'm going to give for you some examples this morning. The first example I have is this. Uh, maybe you are a bowler. And if you're part of a bowling league, right? And so you, you come down maybe here, maybe somewhere else, and, and you, you have your own ball bag, you have your own shoes, you have all this, all this stuff, you have your buffing towel, you have your wrist brace, I don't know what that's for, maybe because you spin really hard, you know. If you're on a bowling league, you don't bowl like me, right? You don't. <laughs> Do one of those. But so imagine, so you've got your, I'm just going to throw a number out here because I'm not on a bowling league. You've got your five guys on the league, and they meet every week, and they they get ready, and they, they bowl. And, and, and what if, what if on your team, one day, as you were getting ready to bowl, what if some random stranger from on the street came in in their their street clothes. They didn't have a ball to their name. They sat down at their table and they said, all right, put my name in. You would think that they've lost their mind. Because the fact is, is some people are in and some are out. There's a team. You've got the names on the jerseys, right? Or if that didn't uh, help you understand, maybe it's a dinner time. Maybe you're about to sit down to a Thanksgiving meal. And, and right about, as whoever it is, the tra- tradition, right, maybe grandpa, maybe you, if, if, if grandpa's passed on, or, or maybe you have a different family tradition. In our family, it's lasagna sometimes. It's not even always turkey or ham and stuff like that. So, but, but for the normal Americana uh, Rockwell painting, right and Right as you're about to carve into the turkey, you, you hear the doorbell ring, and you go to the door. And again, some, some stranger who you've never met before uh, d- doesn't even bat an eye. They give you a nod as they brush past you into the house. They sit down at the seat that you were about to carve the turkey at, and they ask wonderful Aunt Sally if she can pass the potatoes one of you would call the police and rightly so because there is a level of inclusion and there's a level of exclusion and if that didn't get it for you because you're thinking well pastor where's your Christianity surely Surely somebody could come and, and bowl with you, and surely somebody should come and eat with you. Did, did not the Bible say that, you know, if somebody asks you to take your tunic, you go with them and, and, and to feed those who are hungry? And all, Yeah, okay, so what about if, if you and your sweetie are, are sitting on the couch, it's the end of the, the evening, the house is quiet, and uh, there's, there's a mood in the air, and so you're, you, uh, you are looking forward to to later that evening. And, and, and as the evening progresses, you, you're, you're getting ready to, to, to turn in into bed and, uh, and, and in walks one of the kids and they, they run in there and they, they jump up into bed and snuggle down in between you. There's a level of inclusion and there's a level of exclusion, right? <laughs> and, 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 and although most of the time, inclusion is wonderful for the family. This is a time of Exclusion. And, and so even those who we dearly love or we have great relationships with, right? There's, there's exclusion and inclusion. And so in a world that says everybody must be included, I want to tell you this morning, that's not what scripture says. There is exclusion and, and it's okay. And we have to know, like I said, who is in and who is out. And I want for you also to see in the text. So if you're in 28 and 29 and, and in the back, they're going to move through this. When we say this, uh, hear me when I say uh, about church membership and all those kind of things. Listen, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if, if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done on the cross to forgive you for your sins, you, guess what, brother or sister, you are part of Church Universal. And I, and I praise God for you, because we have brothers and sisters in China, in Africa, in, in every corner of the globe that are part of Church Universal. But I believe that scripture tells us, and I'm going to get to those proof texts in just a minute, where if you really are born again to Christ, you should not be be satisfied with merely church universal. Your heart should long for and desire church local. And so I want to show you here in in 28 and 29 that it's not just that they're separating themselves from, from the people of the land because there's there's racism or, or whatever, as, as you might think with what we're going to talk about in a little later with marriage and things like that. They're separated from something to something. In fact, a better way would be they're separated from something to someone. They're separated from the world to God. And so in 28 and 29, 28 says uh, in the middle of that, all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God. And then moving forward, one slide, in verse 29, it says that they joined with their brothers. And so you have to understand that we're not just talking about just being separate. We're talking about being separated from something to something and someone. In the New Testament, like I just kind of alluded to, it brings this into fruitfulness. Uh, Now, they're not going to be up on the slide. If you're a note taker, you can write these down if you wish to, or you can just listen. Acts 2, verse 41 says, so that those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000. Added to what? Added to who? What did they receive? What were they changing from? You see, there has to be a separation from something to something, to someone. Uh, 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. That doesn't make sense unless... John understands that there's some kind of separation taking place. And then lastly, Second Corinthians 6:14: "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness." You see, there, there has to be a separation just like the Declaration of Independence, they wanted to know who was in and who was out. In Nehemiah, these leaders wanted to know who was in and who was out, and it was not because of a lack of love. In fact, I'm going to argue it's because of love that that is necessary. Uh, But the next point as we move through this, point number two, is that we have to have a standard for what it means to be in. Now, In verse 28, I hope that you saw it. You can look on there uh, because we're moving forward and I neglected to put the slide in. I just realized, but that's fine. You have a Bible. Uh, In 28, it says that all who have separated themselves and all who have knowledge. And and so I want you to understand that, yes, there is a standard, but it's also an open standard. The standard is praise the Lord, right? Because of Christ Jesus, the standard is open to all who would come. And so it's just like the salvation process process too. But I want to give you an illustration of this too. There has to be a standard for what it means to be in. Uh, When I joined the military, do you know what I had to do before I was accepted? You know, I did all the paperwork with the recruiter. The recruiter let me sign my name on the line. And then he said, we need to schedule you a physical. And then I went with 30 other guys into a room and we did whatever we had to do for the physical. And is the Lord, I was accepted. Have you ever seen Captain America? There's a scene in, in Captain America, if you haven't seen it, uh, there's a scene in Captain America where um, Steve Rogers, he wants to join the military. He's got a buddy who joins the military super easy and there's, there's, a, there's a, a period in the movie, at the beginning of the movie, where he's going from one recruiter to the other recruiter seeking to go into the military because he, wants, he loves his country, he wants to serve his country and they, he's just a small little squirt of a guy. And so they're like, sorry bro, like, we're looking, I, I can't, I don't know if they say we're looking for men or not, but it's very, they treat him very poorly. Uh, but it's because of his desire to serve and because of his humility that he was then, got the opportunity to become Captain America. I digress. Anyhow, there was a physical standard that I had to meet to join the military, right? Are any of you employed? In your, in your getting a job, did you ever have to do a, something called a, an, an interview? Because I've had to do interviews. There's a job interview where they sit down and they ask you questions. They want to know if you can become a part of their team, if you fit the organization. They also want to know, can you fulfill the tasks that we're going to pay you money to do? Because at the end of the day, we want the widgets made, right? And, and so can you do those things? And so they're, they're going to have some very practical pledges, practical standards of measurable involvement Israel's going to have through the rest of this section. And we're just going to cover uh, them, them very quickly because they're in verses 30 through 33 here and I'm going to explain them quickly because I'm getting to the point of we need to have a standard of what it means to be in, okay? That, that's the point. Uh, we're, now, here at Allegan Bible Church, we don't have these exact same standards, and I'm going to adapt the way that they've talked about this to, to modern day, I, I, I hope, okay? So the first one is uh, no inter, intermarriage. Now, the way that I translate this is, is not uh, racial necessarily. This is spiritual, okay? So in verse 30, Nehemiah 10, 30 says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now, what's the next scripture? Is it the one that I want? No. So, if you're a so let's go back to 30. Now, if you're a note taker, write this down. Uh, numbers 25, 1 through 3. Uh, that's where this is coming from. Numbers 25, 1 through 3. One, w- one of the many texts. There's others, okay? Numbers 25, 1-3 through three says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So do you see the danger here? So we're not talking about, oh, you've got to marry somebody of the same skin tone of you. No, that's not what scripture is talking about at all. They're saying don't intermarry because God cares about marriage relationships. He cares about the witness we have to unbelievers. And he says, listen, marriage is either going to be an illustration of Christ in the church, or of the fall. And so they have a measurable standard of what it means to be in. And their first standard is no intermarriage. They understand that Genesis 2 talks about a one flesh union. They understand logically, and then Paul puts legs on it in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, where he talks about Christ being the head of the the, the of, of the church, just as the man's head of the... the and so the unity of that and the illustration of the gospel. First Corinthians talks about uh, and and women. Uh, my, my heart goes out to you uh, for this. It says the wife is bound to her husband until he dies. Uh, meaning that the husband also bound to the wife, so it's a two-way street. And then at the end of that it says, but she can remarry after he dies, uh, but only in the Lord, because Paul is assuming that you're going to want to marry a, a, another Christian again. And then we just read it, right? Second Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership do they have with one another? What fellowship has light with darkness? And so there has to be some kind of a measurable standard of, of who's in and who's out. Their first one was marriage. Ours is how we deal with unbelievers. We ask you what your testimony is to be a, a part of membership here at Allegan Bible Church. Now, I can't say, listen, for the fact of the matter, y'all don't know if I'm saved. I mean, truly, you don't know. You can't. Uh, when, I, when I die, if I die before you, and you die, and, you, and you're saved, and you get up there, then you'll know right? Uh, and vice versa. If you die before me and then I die and I'm up there, then, then I'll know about you, right? And, and, and by the way, um, th- and this might sound uh, careless, I, I don't mean for it to be, but we will be so excited to be in the presence of Christ that you're not going to lose a tear over me if I'm not there and, and, and vice versa. But, but I hope that you're there and I pray that you'll pray for me as well. The second thing that they do, if you look in the text, is in verse 31. We can go ahead and go there. Is the Sabbath and the sabbatical year. Okay, this is what the text says in verse 31. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, in Scripture, it talks about the Sabbath day. If you want to keep the Sabbath day, you go right ahead. It talks about as one person esteems one day higher than another, and we shouldn't judge one another, and, and so therefore not passing judgment. Hebrews talks more about neglecting to meet together altogether. So we're not talking about the specific Sabbath day. Now, Allegan Bible Church, just like most Christian churches now, we're going to worship on Sunday. We're going to worship at Sunday at 1030. So if you want to be a part of our services, that's when, we're, that's when we meet. Okay. And by the way, historically, we do that because of the resurrection. Okay? I digress, again. So what are we talking about here with us? Well, God cares about your finances and your family. You see, God cares about your work and your play. God cares about your rest. God cares about your worship, what we're going to get into in just a minute here. And so I want to point to you that in in 31, when they say, we're going to keep the Sabbath, do you understand that that takes faith to keep the Sabbath? If any of you are anything like me, Sometimes I drive my wife... I've got better over our marriage, but there's times, especially when we were down in Kentucky and we were newly married and stuff, she would give me a very simple task. She'd say, hey babe, we're having people over for dinner tonight. Could you pick up a little bit? What I hear with that is, can you rearrange the entire closet and also you know, the garage, right? And she's like, no, people are going to be here in five minutes. Put all this stuff away. (laughs) Like... But what I'm getting at here is if you're anything like me, there, you, you, you always see that there's something that can be done, right? You always see something can be done. And so do you understand the faith that it takes on the Sabbath during this time period? I've got wood to chop. I've got leather skins to tan. I've got meat to cure. I've got a harvest to pick. I've got vegetables to can or store. I've got wine or uh, whatever that needs to be that needs to be either put out or put in. I've got, I've got goats to milk. They didn't have cows back then. Well, they did have cows back then. That's a stupid... They didn't have cows, maybe. There were still cows. That's a recent invention. But think of all the work that they had to do. There was also a loophole here. These Gentiles, they could bring in the grain and we could buy from them, right? And they says, no, no, no. We're not even going to, we're not even going to buy from the Gentiles. We're going to keep the Sabbath that tight. And then, if that doesn't get you, now think about the Sabbath year. Look with me again at the text. It says, and we're going to keep this, uh, the, the, the Sabbath, the seventh year, and the exaction of every debt. And listen, I don't know how you feel about it. I've got my own feelings, but I'll just say this student loan forgiveness ain't got nothing on this law because this is every debt, every single debt. You could be a you could be a huge jerk in Israel, maybe, and get away with it. You just don't pay your bills for seven years, and then all of a sudden they're gone. But think of that mega faith, keeping the keeping the the, the Sabbath year, letting your land grow fallow, meaning you're not you're not weeding, you're not tilling, you're not planting. You just better trust God that year six was a really good harvest. It's going to last all the way till when you can finally harvest again. Leviticus 25, 21 through 22. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. And you thought your leftovers weren't so good. What this is, is they are saying God cares about your finances and he wants you to know that it's him who provides. God cares about your family and he says you need to have time for them. You need to have time for rest. You need to have time to recharge. Now I, I, know, I know some of you um, might not like this statement either but God cares about his creation. He cares about the land that he's given us. He cares about the animals that he's given us. It is good for your land to lie fallow sometimes. We, instead, what we do now is we, we plant what is called a, uh, some other kind of crop. One of you farmers would know what I'm talking about. But you, you, plant, you plant soybeans, 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 and then for a little while, then you plant whatever else. And the only reason you plant that is because most of it you're just going to till in back into the soil. And then so you can go back to planting soybeans or, or whatever it is. So he cares about your finances, he cares about your family. The last of their three measurable standards that they give to us is, uh, they want us to support temple ministry in Nehemiah 10, 32 and 33. So if we move forward to 32, it says, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel to the service of the house of our God. For the showbread for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our Lord. Now, the rest of Nehemiah, all the way, or not the rest of Nehemiah, the rest of this chapter of Nehemiah all the way through to verse 39 then meets out all these things that they're going to do to make sure that the temple continues to function the way that the temple is supposed to function. Okay, That's what it's all about. I want you to see here that they care about a physical building and the physical sacrifices and the physical, what we might call, religiosity of Judaism. What God cares about is our worship and our witness. God wants our hearts. He doesn't want our, our firewood and our showbread and our... Many churches won't even say this, but God really doesn't even care how much money you're... I don't, I don't care. Ultimately, if you tithe or not, what I want is your, is your heart to love the Lord. Now, now, I believe that if your heart loves the Lord, that you will find it a joy to bring some kind of an offering, whether that's financial or physical. Because I'm good with volunteering your service too, Okay. But what God cares about here is worship and witness. The temple is supposed to function in this way because these people are supposed to be different. Remember what it said? They separated themselves from the rest of the people in the land to something and to someone. And the only reason, the only way that those other people are ever going to know anything about the God of Israel is if the people of Israel serve the God of Israel. And so this is not legalism in Nehemiah 10. We look at this, you could look at this, and you could say, man, these guys are super legalistic. And what I'm here to tell you is, no, no, no. What they're seeking to do through all these, these standards, they're seeking to pursue his will. They're seeking to honor his day. They're seeking to value his creation. They're seeking to reflect his, his love. They're seeking to support his work. That is why, because there are still a people who don't know God, because you can't say you love Jesus and not love his bride. Because the church is supposed to be different than this world. That's why we need a healthy concept and practice of church membership just as much today as ever before. Which brings me to my last and final point. We need to hold each other accountable to this practice, to that practice of church membership, of being a, a body part in this body, of being a son and daughter of this family, of being a sister and a brother because it's for our good and for the glory of God. You see, this doc, this, uh, this declaration of independence, they had, to, they had to count the cost. When they put their name on that, they knew that they were signing up for something. And, and by the way, they knew that they were signing up for something that might not work so well. It was an experiment, still is, right? They, they didn't know how it was all going to work out, but what they knew is the ideal that they had for it. They knew what they were shooting for. They knew what it wanted it to be. And they said, I'm still, I'm still hitching my cart to that. It might not be perfect. And there might be some of those men, and I don't know the history of all those things. I'm not a history buff. It might be that some of the people who signed that document later, out of fear, might have recanted signing that document. They, they, they may have left because they weren't really of them, right? I don't know. But the covenant of Nehemiah 10, they wanted unity. They wanted a congregation of people and they wanted to know what the accountable practices of the people who made up that congregation were going to be. And So we need a healthy concept and a practice of church membership just as much today as ever before. Do you know why? Because there's a world out there who has no idea and who has no standards for what it means to be a part of their clubs. And this is not a club. This is a body. This is a family. This is the bride of Christ. And so we are to not have any standards. We are to not hold each other accountable. There are so many places and we live in a time where the churches are failing to be the church. And perhaps you've, you've heard this statement, if you don't stand for something, you're gonna fall for anything. And, and so this is not to hit you over the head to say you need to become a member of Alec Bible Church because that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you're a Christian, you ought to want to be the member of some church. And if that's not this one, that's okay. I'm not mad at you. But you need to find a church where you want to be a member. You need to find a church where you want to be held accountable and where you're willing to lovingly and graciously hold other people accountable. We have a church constitution and a statement of faith. Have you read it? Do you know what it says? Do you believe and hold to the doctrine of what we confess in it? When's the last time that you did read it? Do you consider yourself responsible for the others who have, quote, signed their name to that statement of faith, to that membership role? Do you understand that you are to be held accountable for for their growth, for their safety, for their discipleship, as my brother just preached on recently? Or... Do you ask like Cain and the Pharisees, who is my neighbor and am I my brother's keeper? Because scripture tells us we are not our own, we are bought. Scripture tells us that we are members of the same body. The New Testament tells us in places like Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, you're supposed to go and tell him his fault. And the reason is, is to restore them. James 5.16, this will blow your doors off. Are you ready for this? James 5.16, write it down. Because you're not going to want to do this. I'm just telling you. James 5.16. Therefore, you ready? Confess your sins to one another. That's awkward, ain't it? Because what we'd really like to do is we'd like to come in on Sunday and people say, hey, how are you? And you say, I'm great. And then we sing our songs of worship and we we hear a message from some guy on on stage and and then we leave. And I don't really want anybody to know that I battle with anger or pride, or a whole laundry list of other things. James five nineteen twenty. 20. My brothers, if anyone is among you, wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Titus 3, 8 and three ten. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. In verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. So I want to ask you do you want to be part of something bigger? Do you want to be held accountable? Do you want to guard against the deception and defilement of this world? We need a healthy concept and practice of the church. And here's my last proof text for you. I want you to read the screen. Pay attention. Why? Because here's the why, right? So, Pastor, all right, you've you've done all right, I guess. Here's your statement. We need a healthy concept and practice of church membership just as much today as ever before. Why? You're not satisfied with the rest of the argument I've given you. Here it is, okay? 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. Here's why. Because you're a chosen race in a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. He has already separated you. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, to separate from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles different, right? Honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So why? Because you are called by God to be set apart from something to something and someone. And we need each other to help with this calling because it is a weighty calling. And as he finishes, he says, as you... Come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So so here's the bottom line. We need to understand and to practice biblical membership just as much today as, as ever before. Because under the old covenant, they were talking about a temple. But under the new covenant, we're talking about the the house of God being the body of Christ. This is the house of God, the people next to you. And so, with Nehemiah 10, I hope that your answer will be like theirs. We will not neglect the house of our God. Let's pray. God our Father in heaven, help us to understand and remember that your son's sacrificial death on the cross for our sin is what saves. A church or church membership does not save. Only your blood does that. But it is that blood-bought salvation that grants us adoption into your family. And as a son or a daughter, we should and we do long to be in fellowship with the rest of your family. Lord, we praise you that in you, by your spirit, we are a part of church universal forever. Help us to function well in the setting of church local until we see you face to face. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now,